Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Cameron Jordan takes issue with the NFL taking issue with his injury. Oh, things are going to get salty. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. I'm joined, of course, inside the studios by Miss Hannah Five Names. We have a tremendous show lined up for you on this Tuesday edition. Coach Dez, the man in charge of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, will join us. Got a week of recruiting behind them. Now they're gearing up for bowl preparation. Remember, they're going to be taking part in the Independence Bowl, which will be a week from this Friday, December 23rd, up in Shreveport. Conditions are supposed to be slightly chilly up there. Talking in the 30s and some possible sleet for their tilt against the University of Houston. So we'll talk to Coach Dez coming up at 7.15. At 8 o'clock, Jim Gazzolo, our friend, the man who hosts the McNeese Coaches Show and covers the McNeese Cowboys for the Lake Charles American Press. He'll join us to give us the latest on McNeese. They have a big game this week on the hardwood against the Louisiana Raging Cajuns on Thursday night inside the Legacy Center. We'll talk to Jim about that. After that, at 8.15, Bob Nightingale is scheduled to join us. Winter meetings in the books. Trades are happening left and right. Free agent moves are still happening. Give us the latest on Major League Baseball's offseason. The award-winning columnist reporter from USA Today will join us. And then at 8.30, Ali Cassell, our buddy from the Bird Rights, the hottest team in the NBA, New Orleans Pelicans. We'll get the latest on Zion and company from Ollie. So that's who we have lined up for you today. Of course, we'll talk about the Louisiana Raging Cajuns win on the hardwood last night inside the Cajun Dome versus Louisiana Christian. And, of course, we'll get to your phone calls. Game hotline's always open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. We're going to lead off today talking about Cam Jordan. NFL fined him $50,000 for allegedly faking an injury in last Monday night's game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The longtime veteran player, captain, denied the claim that he faked an injury to stop time during the Monday night football loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and has come out and said he has a legitimate injury that resulted in an MRI that was taken last Tuesday. Jordan says he initially thought he injured his ankle, 
which caused him to temporarily go down to one knee during the game before walking to the sideline. But MRIs showed it was actually a midfoot sprain. Quote, I feel like my name's low-key being slandered, like I haven't played with more or less, said Jordan, who did not miss a game due to injury in his career before the season. And even then, I went out, went to the tent, got taped up, went back to the playing field and finished the game, end quote. He added later, quote, in terms of how I play this game and how hard I play this game, I was like, yo, if this was a civil lawsuit, I'd countersue for triple the amount. The amount of work that I've put in to be part of the league, the amount of honor I take in playing this game, yeah, that's why I also laugh at this. You know my track record. You know I'll do everything I can to try to be on the field and try to be part of the team, end quote. He told reporters on Monday that he plans to appeal the fine, but feels like the NFL should make him go through the process. The play in question is the Bucks were facing a third and 17 while trailing 16 to three in the fourth quarter. Jordan rushed Tom Brady and hit the ground as he tried to sack him. Jordan quickly got back up, walked a few steps, looked at the sideline and went down on one knee, appearing to point to his leg as Brady stayed on the field on fourth down. Brady initially appeared to want to go for it on fourth, and Jordan left the field with athletic trainers and went to the sideline. The Saints, in addition to Cam Jordan being fined $50,000, the Saints were fined $350,000. Coach Dennis Allen, $100,000. Co-defensive coordinator Ryan Nielsen, $50,000, and Jordan, fifty dollars for their roles in the fourth quarter delay. So the NFL fined the Saints 350. Dennis Allen 100. That's 450,000. Then an additional 50 for the defensive coordinator and 50 for Cam Jordan. So $550,000 in fines for what they allege is a fake injury, even though the player had to get MRIs done the following day. And shows that he actually has a sprain. Ah, NFL, NFL, NFL. Jordan says he didn't even know there was an issue until his agent called last week to tell him a fine was coming. And even then, he initially thought the fine was meant just for him. He thought initially he was going to get fined for hitting the quarterback. Oh, man. What are we doing here? Does the NFL not realize that the Saints love having guys play with injuries? <laughs> so that if he's playing and he think they think they faked the injury, he probably does have an injury, but they just want him to play anyway. Because we don't know how to take care of our guys correctly. <laughs> I just... How are you going to prove that someone's faked an injury? Like, the the, the simple fact that he went left the field, had to be taken to the tent, got taped up, got looked at by the medical staff, got put back into the game, but then the next day had to have follow-up MRIs that showed that he had an actual sprain, which by all intents and purposes means he had an injury. So how are you going to find someone for faking an injury when in fact they had an injury? I'm just... 
it, it take away the incompetence of the medical staff by the New Orleans Saints. We've talked a lot about that. Mm-hmm. How, like, what? Like, right. Wh- I, I get that we, we do have players in the league that kind of fake the injuries to slow down the game. And, and sometimes, you know, flopping, you know, uh, to use a, a popular term right now for the World Cup, flopping. Uh, what happens in soccer, they, they do it in the NFL. Mm-hmm. We're seeing guys do it. I, I get that. But if a guy gets taken to the medical tent, gets taped up, and then has to have MRIs the next day that reveal that, in fact, he had a sprain, isn't that an injury? Yeah, that's what I don't understand. And you're finding the team and the head coach and the defensive coordinator and the player? Like, it just feels like, well, once again, I always counter from the Saints fan that says that the league has it out for them. But this sure does feel like it has it out mm-hmm. for them. Because what are you doing? What? Why? What is this? Why is this even a thing? Why is this a thing? I don't understand. Like, if you're in the NFL's offices, aren't you happy enough that the Saints are awful? And that they're not relevant. So on top of it, you decide, hey, a little bit more than a million dollars, half of a million dollars in fines. There you go. There you go. We're going to kick you while you're down because we just like doing it. Somebody actually, somebody tweeted out and was replying to Cam Jordan, what he tweeted before. I don't know. I can't find the first tweet. But the guy's like, why are you acting like you are a victim? You took directions. You got called on camera. You faked an injury. Now it's time to pay up. You may not like it, but those are the rules from the NFL commissioner. So Cam Jordan comes back and says, to be 100% transparent, what I thought was a low ankle sprain ended up being a fifth metatarsal sprain after the game. Took my cleats off, hurting. The MRI next day revealed more than that than I thought it was. But thanks, Dr. Ford, for telling me I faked something. Oh, man. Like, yes. Did the guy get up, thought he was hurt, realize that Tom Brady was still on the field and go, I'm taking my knee to get my, my injury checked out. Yes, because he didn't think that Tom Brady's going to go for fourth down. So he's like, ah, oh, he's going to go try to get the field goal or he's trying to, you know, trying to put. So he's going to go and be able to make it in the next play. But he couldn't. So he said, I'm taking my knee now and I'll get checked out. I just don't understand why any of this is just needed. Like a conspiracy. So the NFL believes that the head coach, uh, first of all, to believe that Dennis Allen is that competent to be able to pull (laughs) off something like this is mind blowing to me (laughs) that the NFL believes this. So the head coach, the defensive coordinator, the team and the player all collaborated, colluded, if you would, to come together to fake an injury while being up 16 to 3 in a ball game. Really? 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 He can't even get the ball into the playmaker's hands. And you think you're going to have the whole pull off of fake injury? Yeah, nah, fam. He does. They don't even know how to <laughs> properly utilize their running backs. You think they could pull something like this off? Come on, man. This is just silly. Oh, I don't blame Cam for 
speaking out here because this is just dumb. This is just dumb. As if the NFL doesn't have better things to do. Let's not worry about player safety. Let's not worry about the fact that we have a rash of ACL tears yet again for our players that are playing on that artificial surface, which is becoming a, a whole thing in its own right light. No, 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 no. We're going to worry about doling out fines for what we believe is a fake injury. When in fact, MRI show, no, no, actually injured. Sure, this seems like the best way to use your resources, National Football League. Absolutely. Keep it going. Amazing. Amazing. It's ridiculous, man. Just ridiculous. I don't even know what to do with this information. <laughs> I, I saw the story. You have to laugh like we, he is. We, we didn't have a chance to talk about it yesterday and then cam talked to the media about it so i was like oh we got it we got to touch on this now because the fine actually came over like i think like saturday night it got released we we heard reports about it and i was like really now to the saints half a million's nothing right and to cam jordan fifty thousand dollars is probably nothing let's be real for a minute probably so to them relatively speaking it's like us getting a $100 fine or a $20 fine. Or, you know, it's not that big of a deal. But it's kind of just the principle here is this is what we're doing now. The, the, this is what we're doing. And you do wonder if it was against anybody else not named Tom Brady. <laughs> the golden child that the league loves to prop up and protect. So It's not a golden child anymore. It's the golden grandpa. Oh, they love him. <laughs> they love him. They they love you to love him as well. <laughs> oh, what ridiculousness that is. Oh, man. We got to take a timeout. Come back. We'll recap Monday Night Football for you. Speaking of injuries, well, Kyler Murray looks like he's done for the year. Shredding his knee on a non-contact drill on that artificial turf that is at Arizona. Yeah. Patriots win, keep their playoff hopes alive with four games left. We'll look at the state of the NFL as well. That's all coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with tickets to a special sneak peek of the new Whitney Houston biopic, I Want to Dance with Somebody. That's right. You can see it before anyone else by simply texting Whitney to 68683. That's Whitney to 68683 to score a pair of tickets for a special sneak peek December 20th at the Celebrity Theater in Broussard. It's the I Want to Dance with Somebody sneak preview Brought to you by A. Brian's Jewelers and the Game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We'll have our poll question of the day up for you shortly to vote on. And it's about Cam Jordan. Now, some of you believe 
that maybe he did fake his injury and he was kind of milking it a little bit there. Others do not. So we want to leave it up to you. We want to hear from you on this. Do you believe Cam Jordan was faking his injury? Yes or no? Straightforward type of poll question today. Want to hear from you. Go vote. Leave your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter. And Hart already chimed in even before we had the poll question up. I don't know if y'all saw, but they hit Jesse Bates and the Bengals with the same fines for injury faking during a Chiefs game. This one's a little bit more legitimate because Bates was standing up fine in the end zone while players were subbing in and out, then just dropped down. So I do believe you have issues with the flopping, right? There are some serious issues going on with flopping and faking injuries. That said... If a guy does have a sprain, doesn't that count as an injury? And can you really find him? So there you go. So keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your thoughts on the Twitter and the Facebook. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Okay. Let's head and talk a little, head over and talk a little Monday Night Football. Arizona, New England, neither one of these teams is great. Cardinals are having yet another disappointing season, right? They're having another underperforming season under Cliff Kingsbury, which is not a surprise because he had underperforming season after season as the head coach at Texas Tech. And now he's doing the same thing in the NFL. 4-9 on the season the Cardinals are. And they're 1-7 at home. What? 1-7 at home. And that's after last night losing 27-13 to the New England Patriots who are trying their best to get back into the playoffs. They're not great either. But the Patriots did enough to win last night's game, especially after Kyler Murray left the ball game and he left it early only threw one pass for nine yards he was running and it was a non-contact injury they fear it's an ACL tear and that he's done for the year and that he may miss time even next season woof woof So they had to bring in Colt McCoy to come off the bench. Yes, Colt McCoy is still in the league. Unbelievable, right? Unbelievable. Colt McCoy still getting that money. It's been a, wow. 2009 was the national championship game, which he got his shoulder injured. And that changed the momentum of that game, and that probably changed the fortunes of college football as we know it because Nick Saban and company were able to start a dynasty. Imagine if Colt McCoy doesn't get injured in that game in Pasadena in the Rose Bowl. McCoy comes in, tries to guide him, but the quarterbacks in this game combined for no touchdowns. It was one of those games. 
New England was able to barely run the football. It, look, we've talked about this all season long. Lots of bad football out there. This was not a good football game. Bonnie stretch of the imagination, 27-13, which suggests that there was actually some competent offense being played in this game. There wasn't. New England had two rushing touchdowns, but only had 103 yards on the ground. Mac Jones, no touchdowns and interception. Colt McCoy was in this ballgame. Arizona was able to rush the ball a little bit better for only over 100 yards, but these are some bad offenses. Neither team could hold on to the ball. New England at least recovered its two fumbles. And so did Arizona, I guess. Turnovers, sloppiness with the football. Had some good defensive plays being made in this game, but that was really it. And the Patriots, with the win, they are 7-6, and which means technically they're still in the hunt. And now we look at the standings. And in the AFC, we look at who's in contention here. Buffalo is your top seed. If the playoffs began today, Buffalo would be in because they have the tiebreak over Kansas City because of the head-to-head win percentage. So Bills and Chiefs are 10-3. and three. Ravens are 9-4. and four. I have the tiebreak over Cincinnati. Tennessee, despite being 7-6 and six and look like they're fading towards being a team with a losing record, they still lead the AFC South. Dolphins are in as well. Patriots are now in the seventh spot. Chargers, you have the Patriots, the Chargers, the Jets, all at 7-6. and six. So the last four weeks of the season, the AFC are going to clean these things up. It's going to help decide the division for the AFC North. And then are the Titans going to be able to hold on to win the AFC South? Jacksonville's their only real threat, but Jacksonville's 5-8. and eight. In the NFC, Eagles already have clinched a playoff berth. Minnesota, despite getting beat up by Detroit on Sunday, they look like they're going to be in at 10-3. and three. Then you got San Francisco at 9-4, and four, leading their division. Tampa Bay leads their division, 6-7. Cowboys would be a wild card team at 10-3. and three. The Washington Commanders are 7-5. and five. The Giants, 7-5. and five. Seattle, 7-6. and six. And Detroit, don't count out the Lions, they're only 6-7. and seven. So we have some meaningful games coming down the stretch here in the final four weeks of the season. But the Cardinals are out of playoff really contention. They have not technically been eliminated based on math, but, you know, let's just look at the standings. (laughs) They're not going anywhere. They're right there with the Saints at 4-9 and the Rams 4-9 inching closer and closer to being eliminated. The only team eliminated in the NFC 
the Chicago Bears. They're in the full rebuild mode. Now, I mentioned that Kyler got injured and we have this issue with artificial turf and these injuries that seem to be popping up. The field at State Farm Stadium where the Cardinals play is actually natural grass even though they play inside. That is true. I totally had forgotten about that. Shout out to Rice King for bringing it to the attention. This is a grass field. What they do in Arizona, even though it's an inside stadium, this is where the confusion comes in. It's natural grass, but it's also retractable. So the field is retractable in Arizona. <laughs> Hannah's shaking your head. This is why I took the opportunity. <laughs> because, so, it's in a what they call a deep tray. And it's rolled inside the venue on 546 steel wheels for Cardinals games. And then it's put outside for concerts or other events. The process to roll the field in takes about 70 minutes. So when they have a football game, they take the hour and some change to set up the mechanism, set up the motors, and they roll the field into place. And when they're not playing football, they just have it sitting out in the parking lot in the desert heat. <laughs> You're watching a video, aren't you? I, I had us watching a video about it. If I'm confuzzled, I need to see pictures or something. So I'm watching a video. It, it, and it slowly inches its way. It's kind of weird, though. It, it's kind of weird. I, I, I like the the turf, you know, being brought in. The natural grass being brought in. It lets it get all nice and hot outside, and then you just roll it in. Which is like, okay. So that is natural. But still, doesn't it feel like we're having a rash of ACL and MCL injuries in the NFL the last couple of years? It does feel that way. And I don't know if the artificial turf makes a difference. Some players feel like it does. Others say you need to be on natural grass. But then, well, look at Kyler Murray. That was on natural grass. And he still had a non-contact injury and shredded his knee. I don't know. I mean, I remember there always being injuries like that. And back in the day, if you had an ACL injury, your career was over because they didn't know how to repair it to get you back to being an active player again. But I don't know. It sure does seem like we're seeing a lot more of those type of injuries. I could be completely wrong. Maybe it's just more amplified now because of the era that we live in and constant replays and everything being shared on social media. So maybe there's actually not more ACL injuries and MCL injuries in the NFL. Maybe it just appears that way. I don't know. But Kyler is more than likely out, and the Cardinals didn't have a chance anyway. We'll see if they actually get rid of their coach, old Clifford, and see if he's going to get the boot. Because I've said before that Arizona job would be pretty appealing to a certain former New Orleans Saints head coach. Just saying. 
we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and company, Hannah is still amazed by the field being inched in, <laughs> rolled in inch by inch there at Arizona. <laughs> when we come back, Louisiana Raging Cajuns get a win last night inside the Cajun Dome before they have to head out this week to Lake Charles to take on McNeese. We'll talk about it, recap it for you, and hear from the Cajuns themselves. That's all coming up next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Okay, end of, end of exam week, and we didn't play as consistently as I wanted to tonight. We were much better Saturday against Sanford, but give Louisiana Christian some credit. I thought Coach Mason's guys played really hard. He had a couple local guys. We knew they'd come in and play hard, and, and they did that. The starters got us off to a, a, a fast start. We wheeled the bench, and we immediately dipped, and that's disappointing, something we talked about. We discussed it again at halftime, uh, and then the second half, we did a good job of scoring in transition. Defensively, we got a little bit lazy but uh, at times, but we still held them to a low percentage, and we shot the ball extremely well. Bob Marlin following the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. 98-63 to win over Louisiana Christian on Monday night inside the Cajun Dome. Louisiana Christian, of course, formerly known as Louisiana College up there in Pineville. The starters were really just phenomenal. And he's right. If you were paying attention to the game at all last night, once they put in the second team, everything kind of took a dip. Our guy Matt Miguez was there, and he kind of tweeted on this and paying attention online. And the second team came in and kind of opened up the door, and LC was able to make a run and kind of keep it closer than Bob Marlin would have liked, closer than anyone would have liked. But the starters were really good. Jordan Brown scored a career-high 37 points in this ballgame. Themis Folks posted his first double-double with 12 points and a career-best 11 assists. Greg Williams Jr., Kentrell Garnett each scored 12 points as Louisiana improved to 9-1 on the season, shot a season-high 63% from the floor while nearly hitting the 100-point Mark for the third time this season. They built up the 20-4 lead to start off the game. So they set the tone, and they really never looked back. Even though the second team allowed them to kind of creep back into the ball game, LC really didn't, right? They established their dominance from jump. And once that happens, it's hard to kind of get back into the game. And Marlon talked about even though you jump out to an early lead, it's sometimes it's it's difficult, it's a challenge to maintain such a large lead. It, it is. And then, we again, we go to the bench, and the other guys, you know, Mike Thomas didn't play as good as I wanted him to. And Isaiah came in and gave up a bucket. And, <clears throat> and uh, you know, it was, a, it was a team bonding right there. It was a little bit of everybody. 
that didn't do their job. And that's what we talked about during the timeouts. And I got vocal with them. Just do your dang job. Uh, you know, we got to block out. We gave up too many old boards tonight. And we should have dominated the glass. They're quick and small. But we, we, we had the size advantage, obviously, with the block shots. But we've got to rebound the ball better. Even with a convincing win, Bob is still going to find something for his team to work on, which is good. Uh, once again, heavily favored team. They're clearly the better team here over LC. And even though it's not a world beater when it comes to competition, Louisiana Christian is not that. It is important that when you have the opportunity to get those non-conference wins at home, they are still important. Well, being the last non-conference home game was important. We discussed that. And, you know, this group's got a goal to go undefeated at home. And uh, we've got to get the one that's right in front of us. We know conference is going to be tough. We've got five teams that are in the top 100 with the net right now, which is good, good for our league and a good selling point. And we've got some very good teams. Uh, we're getting caught up. A lot of teams have, have already played their nine Division One games, and this was this was our last one tonight. Preparation to get this one at home and get ready for, for the next one. So their last non-conference game at home, they improved to nine and one on the season. Holiday break is about to be here, but before then, they have two games. They have at McNeese on Thursday at the Legacy Center. And then they have to go the following Wednesday right before Christmas, a game against the University of Texas. Now that is going to be a game to pay attention to. That's going to be a test. That's going to be a great opportunity for the Raging Cajuns to make a bit of a statement to prove that they are. Because once that's done, Christmas then December 29th, they wrap up the 2022 portion of their 2022-2023 season on the road at Coastal Carolina to begin conference play. So it's going to be right here. They only have two more games before conference play begins. On the road at McNeese and then on the road at UT the following week. But even though they're 9-1 and one and their you know, lone loss is on the road at Drake and they're playing well, you know, the importance for this team is to try to be as consistent as possible. And Jordan Brown, who had a career night with 37 points, talked about that afterwards. Uh, I think just focusing on consistency, uh, trying to go, go into every game ready. And I think that's something we all should focus on, just being consistent. That's what it's really about. Look, this team is favored to win the Sun Belt Conference. Jordan Brown's your preseason player of the year. The Cajuns are picked to win it. That's what it really boils down to, is playing consistently when you begin conference play. That way you don't have any slip-ups, right? Let's say they lose at Texas. They beat me, Nice, they lose at Texas. They're 10-2 and two heading into conference play. That's good. I think if you told any Raging Cajun fan before the start of the season, hey, your team is going to be 10-2 and two heading into conference play, I think everyone would take that all day long. 
and it, I'm not saying they can't beat Texas because I think they can. And that would change the narrative about this team even more so, right? But they understand what's at stake. They're a veteran team. Bob Marlin understands what's at stake here. They are the ones favored. They're going to be the ones with the target on their back in every single game they play this year. Every single one. You look at the Raging Cajuns men's basketball schedule, and they're going to be favored. They're going to get everyone's best effort in Sunbelt play. That's Coastal Carolina. That's Old Dominion. That's going to be against Southern Miss. Georgia State, ULM, South Al, Arkansas State, Texas State, Troy, Georgia Southern. Does not matter. They're going to get everyone's best effort because they're the preseason favorite. They're the team everyone expects to win. So guess what? Everyone's going to get up to play the team everyone expects to win the conference. So that's why these non-conference games right now are important to get your consistency, to get your rotation down, to get guys reps. That way when you need them in a tough situation, in a clutch moment, in a conference game down the stretch, they'll be ready. But they got to be more consistent. And you know Bob was not happy about having that other team be able to get rebounds. I can hear it in his voice. I've heard that quote, a variation of that quote, dozens of times over the years. Bob likes his teams to win the rebound battle. And when they don't, or they don't perform as high as he thinks they should, that's going to be one of the first things he talks about in the post-game presser. Sure enough, there it was. Cajuns improved to 9-1. They'll get back to action once again Thursday night in Lake Charles, taking on McNeese inside the Legacy Center. Tip set for 7 o'clock. We got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up our number one. We'll update that poll question of the day as well. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers. Oh, the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, wants to stuff your stocking with a $500 Visa gift card. That's right, $500 Visa gift card. That could come in handy for those last-minute Christmas gifts, couldn't it? Oh, yes, it could. It's the Christmas Comes Early Sweepstakes presented by Armitar Jewelers. Simply enter in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for a chance to score a $500 Visa gift card. That's right, a $500 Visa gift card. It's that easy. It's the Christmas Comes Early Sweepstakes powered by Armitar Jewelers and the Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Fellas, I'd try to go win this right now. Because I know some of you out there listening on this glorious Tuesday morning have not gotten your lady something. It's December 13th, and you still haven't got your lady something. And maybe, maybe you spent too much money on your fantasy football league. Or maybe, maybe you spent a little too much money betting on some games. Hey, now you don't have the money to buy your lady a nice gift. This is why you got to take care of the Christmas comes early sweepstakes. Go in her to win. You'll have that $500 Visa gift card, and that way you can take care of your lady, and she doesn't have to know that you waited until the last minute to get her something. Okay? It'll be our little secret. And I promise Hannah won't tell her either. 
Poll question of the day. Do you believe Cam Jordan was faking his injury? Yes or no? Right now, 70% of you say no. 30% say yes. And I have the same gif on this poll question on Twitter shared by three of y'all. Unbelievable. John Paul Cajun Daddy, JPK the OD, and Darren all shared the Vince McMahon gif with Roger Goodell's face on it. And I'm here for it. JPK the OD tweets, does it matter? The real question is, isn't it funny that the NFL chose to use the Saints to make their statement on the matter with a megafine? Hashtag Roger the Clown hates the Saints. John Paul Cajun Daddy says, absolutely not. The Saints are just in the position where any hate that the NFL can push, Roger will make sure it is done. The Saints screwed up Peyton Manning's swan song with the Colts, and Roger has never forgiven them. Todd on Twitter says, whether he was or not, I've never seen such hefty fines for something that has been a problem in the league for years. Ralph Bergeron says, it made no sense to fake it with the score time down scenario. None. Once again, they were up, what, 16 to 3? It was third down. Third down had just gotten done. And the Saints were up 16 to 3. It's not as if they were trailing, try to stop the clock. So as Ralph points out, it made no sense to fake it with the score time down scenario, none. So if he was, another reason to fire Dennis Allen, as if there aren't enough. Goodell in the holiday spirit and a gif of the Grinch. Hate, 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 double hate. Ralph also says, in the words of Dennis Allen, just another day at the office. Salty Steve, always with a salty take. I think that it is. Sorry, I sprained my thumb while tweeting. I will be unable to answer the poll question at this time. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Oh, oh man. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we will share them throughout today's show. Good start to the show so far. Good start to the day. Well, coming up in about 20 minutes, Coach Dez, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns head football coach, will be joining us as his team begins to make those preparations for their bowl game, they're taking on the University of Houston at the Independence Bowl in lovely Shreveport a week from Friday. We'll talk to Coach about that. That's coming up next hour. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, man, 7.03 on a Tuesday. Christmas is right around the corner. Bowl season is going to be here in no time. We'll talk more about that with, of course, Coach Dez. He'll be joining us in about 15 minutes from right now, the man in charge of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. They are gearing up for the Independence Bowl. 
against the University of Houston Cougars there in Shreveport at Independence Stadium. Never played there. I've been there a couple times as a fan to watch games, but a big deal for the Cajuns to be able to go play in the Eye Bowl, especially with a season that saw them be up and down for a good portion of it. But to be able to have an opportunity to finish strong is there. And to be able to finish with a bowl win and get to seven wins and have a winning season, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. We'll talk about that with Coach Dez coming up. Of course, we'd love to hear from you. Coach Dez is our only guest this hour. We're backloaded on today's show, three guests in the final hour. So if you want to get your phone calls in, you want to talk about that Monday night football game between the Cardinals and the Patriots, you want to talk about Cam Jordan being fined for faking an injury allegedly by the NFL, you want to talk about the state of the Saints, the New Orleans Pelicans, we'd love to hear from you. Hotline's always open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. Cam Jordan talked to the media. He thought it was first a joke that he was being fined and then realized it wasn't when his agent informed him that he was being fined $50,000. How it boiled down, $100,000 to head coach Dennis Allen, $50,000 to defensive coordinator, $50,000 to Cam Jordan, and then $350,000 to the Saints. So more than half a million dollars for allegedly faking an injury. Now, Cam says he thought he had an ankle issue. Ends up, MRI said that he had a mild sprain. Look, I, I, I watched the game live. Do I think he was faking an injury? No, not really. It doesn't make sense to fake an injury there. Just, just It doesn't make any sense. It'd be different if you were trying to slow down a two-minute offense by Tom Brady. That would make more sense. But they weren't. Third down had just come and gone, and Tampa Bay ended up punting. And the Saints were up 16-3. to There's no rhyme or reason or benefit to do it. I, look, I, I don't know Cam Jordan from this desk. I, I, I don't. But it doesn't seem logically to make any sense to fake an injury in that time there's no benefit there's no added advantage of faking an injury to try to stop because they were about to punt that's just me some of you may disagree and of course want to let you know that you can share your thoughts with us as always facebook and twitter you know, the Facebook isn't getting as much love. Why is that? Great answer. Great answer. Are um, you still watching the video? Have they got to the point where the field is actually inside State Farm Stadium now? Yeah, I've watched like five videos now. <laughs> I understand how it works. I think it's dumb. But it, it's dumb. So why do you believe it's dumb? This goes back to another injury, one that happened last night. In the Monday night football game, we were talking about it earlier, where Kyler Murray, non-contact injury, looks like he shredded his ACL. 
and he's going to miss the rest of the season is probably going to miss a significant amount of time next year, early next season, which is a huge deal for the Arizona Cardinals. And I made the, the offhand remark says we've had a lot of issues with injuries, knee injuries in particular on artificial turf. And then someone said, hey, State Farm Stadium, actually, even though it's an inside stadium, they have real grass. And I had forgotten that they actually keep their grass outside. And then they roll it in on like 576 metal rollers. And they roll it into the stadium and then lay it down. Yeah, but 0.7 miles per hour. (laughs) And it takes 43 seconds to open the little door for it to go under. (laughs) It takes, well, you timed it. Nice. Noah says it on the video. (laughs) (laughs) I found that information out for y'all guys. You're welcome. I don't know. It just just seems like an extra step. Yeah. Right? It seems extra. Once again, you're out in the desert, and they're really out in the desert. Like, the stadium is outside. It's technically Glendale, but if you see an aerial shot, there's nothing around it but Mm -hmm. desert. So, I guess they keep it out there to, to, you know, to have the natural grass feel, and it can grow in the sun. I, I would assume they put it inside the facility during the summer so it doesn't burn out, right? It doesn't dry out. I have questions. How, how are they hydrating it? How are they keeping it? Right. How, how do you keep it to where it's still green and it's not like yellow? Um, I, and, and if they it just rains, put it in the how do you know lot? it rains? They just put it in the parking lot? Do they have a sprinkler system in the parking lot that keeps it, you know, keeps the grass healthy or... Do they just have a bunch of workers out there with little buckets pouring water on it all day? Well, if you look at it if in the video, <laughs> if you look at it, it's on like two and a half feet of the, the, roll, the rollers, the platform underneath it. It's like, looks like at least, at least two feet. And then on top of it, there's the field. So the field goes in, and it's already technically off the ground. So they're already off the ground when they're playing games there, which makes to me no sense. The already can't have balance and can't keep on their own two feet. It's why we have so many damn ankle injuries. <laughs> and so, one, that's dumb. And two, then you have to go and you're like, oh, it may actually somehow rain. Like there's, you know, I don't know, once in a blue moon type thing. Then you think about get to roll that thing in. It takes a while. And rain is very unpredictable. So if it does actually end up raining in Arizona, how long when are they going to go and realize they got to take the, the turf, the, the grass in? When then you go and you have that, but then it makes it easier for like concerts. But like I feel like the concert people make so much money and they pay so much money to use these like arenas and stuff. Then they have the money to put down a little platform things like they do for other stadiums to have concerts in there. So well, I'm, just just an initial, also an initial. My initial thought is okay. Well, you take it out for concerts, great. So you're putting it in the parking lot which means you're taking up parking spaces exactly. for the concert. So say Garth Brooks is playing a sold-out show there in Glendale at State Farm Stadium, then you've eliminated a large portion of your own parking lot, which means you can't sell as many tickets? I guess they just put them all in the desert. <laughs> Maybe platform comes from under the desert ground and this is why, parking lots. I don't know. This is why you shouldn't have... NFL franchises in Arizona. <laughs> well, I remember, I still, I'm old enough to remember when the Cardinals mm-hmm. were actually in St. Louis. 
Yes. The Arizona Cardinals franchise. With the, the St. Louis Cardinals? Those yes. guys? What? Yes. yes. They're by each other? That's crazy. Yes, they were both in St. Louis. And before then, the Cardinals were actually in Chicago. My jeez. Yes. Now, that was well before my time. But <laughs> I'm not that old. But I do remember that the Cardinals were always in St. Louis. I remember that as a kid. Were they using these phones? <laughs> yes. If people think we have caller ID, we don't have caller ID, guys. We have one above the rotary phone. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, we have an old school phone. You should take <laughs> people no, all the you time. Should, you, you, should, you should take a photo of it and say, just to show you guys we don't have caller ID, this is the phone we have. I've told people that some of I have guests on when I did the Ross report. I used to tell them, they're like, I can't really hear you very well. And I go, well, you hear better when you get onto our board because we have one above the rotary phone. So it may not hear you <laughs> here as well. But yes, it's dumb that they have. There we go. Hannah grass. says it. There we go. They probably have some kind of irrigation system underneath it in the big, huge platform. It's probably on top fancy. Of. I don't know. It's fancy. Or, or they just have a guy out there with a water hose. <laughs> That's his job all day. <laughs> like just the guys to, that are on the softball field to yes. gotta, like wet the play. Yeah. Just hosing down the field. State of the art billion dollar facility, and there's just a couple guys with hoses out there just hosing it down. Can you pay like five bucks? <laughs> we gotta take a timeout. Oh man. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day, though. We want to hear from you. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. But right now, we're gonna take a timeout. And when we come back. Coach Dez, the man in charge of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns football program, will join us. That's coming up right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. 180! What's that? Raging Cajuns head football coach Michael Desimo joins RP3 and company to talk all things Vermillion and White. It's time for Hashtag UL Culture with Coach Dez. Coach, good morning, brother. How are you? I'm good, Raymond. How are you? I'm actually uh, boarding a flight right now, heading out on, on out on the road recruiting. So, oh, always working, always grinding, brother. There's a little noise in the background. Nah, don't worry about that. I appreciate you making the time, but all right. So, let's get to it. So, uh, obviously, you're still out there recruiting. When are you guys going to start kind of getting to the nitty gritty of going through practices? You know, full on bowl preparation. Um, so we've already kind of started prepping for it a little bit, um, you know, just kind of working through some things and kind of getting started with all the prep. But, uh, you know, for us, it's, it won't be full on till probably still Friday this week. So you're also in this weird spot right now where you're having guys making decisions. You've had a couple of players decide to go ahead and prepare for the NFL draft process like Andre Jones and Michael Jefferson. You know, how did those conversations go with those young men? I know you're always very forthcoming with them and kind of talk it out with them about their choices and what their options are. Well, you know, I mean, at this point, you know, a lot of a lot of these kids have a lot of different people that are kind of giving them their opinions on what they should do. And, um, you know, after they talk to, you know, some family members and things like that, they, they decided they felt that was the best option. Um, you know, so we just give them the information that we have from the from the scouts and from the agents that we've worked with in the past. And, you know, it's not our decision to make. And I tell them that, um, you know, I tell them it's, 
it's not my choice. It's <clears throat> it's theirs, and that you know they've got to make the decision for themselves. So, you know, those guys decided that that was the best thing that they wanted to do. Um, they felt that that was the way that the direction they wanted to go right now. So, you know, we support them and, and wish them nothing but the best. But like I told them, you know, we we I'd rather know now so we could get these other guys ready to go out there and go play. And I told our team, whoever wants to play in this game, whoever gets on this bus to go over there, we're going to get them ready and we're going to go play well. Every team is dealing with that kind of right now, right? Guys preparing for the draft sure. process and everything like that. And you guys are no exception with that. You know, but you're right. This gives younger players an opportunity here to to step up and show uh, not only their teammates, but also show you and your staff what they can do. And this also gives you an advantage because you get to learn a little bit more about your team heading into the spring and what you have and what you don't have, right? Well, absolutely. I mean, it's like it's like anything. I mean, you can focus on the, on the advantages and the positives of it, or you can focus on the negatives and, and complain about something that's not, not going to change. So for us, you know, I mean, this is all a little bit new, you know, with kids kind of doing this at, at all levels. It used to be a very select few schools and very select few kids that would do that. But, it's you know, it's just changed a little bit, and it's become a, kind of a normal thing. So for us, we're just going to focus on what we can control and go right, get out there and get ready to go get those guys ready that will be back next year. Recruiting while you're getting prepared for a bowl game. You've done this before as an assistant. How difficult is it, and how much help do you need with your schedule all the time, Coach, during this kind of weird time of the year heading into signing day and everything like that? Well, it takes a lot of people to make make this deal work. You know, you're merging a lot of schedules. Um, you know, we have a ton of people in our office that do a great job. Um, you know, Annadelle <laughs> handles my flight and things like that, and she's been phenomenal with all of that. Um, you know, Will Myers helps us merge all the coaches' schedules and how we're going to do it. Um a lot of communication back and forth between us and the staff. Uh, you know, obviously Troy getting ready for the bowl site visit and all that. I mean, he does a, a great job with all that. So just a lot of communication. Um, this time of year, there's a lot of irons in the fire, and there always are. And, you know, this time of year is whenever it kind of gets a little bit crazy, too. You know, you got some kids that are, you know, last-minute surprises, it, whether that be good or bad. That's uh, kind of this time of year, and that's part of the deal. So we're, uh, you know, just trying to, trying to navigate it all we're talking with coach des the man in charge of the louisiana raging cajuns they're gearing up for their bowl game a week from friday in shreveport at independent stadium they're going to be taking on the university of houston cougars and that kickoff is going to be set for two o'clock in the afternoon uh, coach now that you'll figure out who do you have and who do you not have for the game you said you're really going to start kind of hitting the ground running with preparation on Friday, really kind of like a week out game prep type of stuff. What does the tape tell you early on about the Cougs and what challenges they present your team? They're, they're, you know, they're still a very talented team. Um, a really good quarterback who pushes the ball down the field. Um, they've got some playmakers, especially those slot receivers. Uh, you know, and then defensively, they've got good players on defense, especially up front. You know, that, that defensive line, um, they've got some guys that really can affect the game. They're active. They, Good pass rushers, you know they get sacks. It's uh, they 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 still got they've got some really good players, and you know, they cause some problems. Some of the things they can do. So, you know, we got to have a good plan for these pass rushers, and then 
you know, you got to try to get some pressure on the quarterback and affect him a little bit. Um, certainly, you're going to have to get guys down on the ground in space because they got some guys that can do it out in space. Coach, we'll get you out of here with this as your flight gets ready to leave, brother. Obviously, you're preparing uh, for a bowl game, preparing for opponent, but you guys are also playing in a game where it's pretty easy for fans to drive to. It's just a short drive up I-49. How exciting is that to being able to play in a bowl game that you guys have, first of all, never played in before, but also one that the fan base can go travel to the day of and be able to go see you guys play in person? You know, those things matter to me more than anything else. And, you know, not that that's, that plays a factor in where we go, but it does matter to me because I think for our fans, I think these experiences are something that they love to be a part of too. And anytime we get to do something for the first time, it's something they get excited about. And, you know, being able to drive up that morning, watch the game, and get home the same day is just phenomenal. I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. So we're, we're thrilled about it. Um, you know, the city of Shreveport, they support this bowl really well too. Um, and hopefully two teams that are really, you know, within you know, four hours of Shreveport, hopefully that'll, that'll mean an even better attendance. It'll mean even more excitement. So, so we're, to say we're excited is an understatement, um, you know, and, and we're, we're ready to, to start rolling and, and really get our focus on, on Houston and get this thing rolling a little bit. Well, Coach, appreciate you making the time. Uh, safe travels out there on the recruiting trail. And I know you can't wait to, to get back uh, home and uh, start prepping and start conducting those practices for the Independence Bowl game against the University of Houston Cougars. Appreciate your time, bud. Thanks, Raymond. Appreciate you, man. Coach Des joining us there. Man, squeezing us in, making time for us. My man's boarding the flight. He was boarding the flight. He's like, sorry about that if there's some background. You hear the pilot or you hear the, the stewardess over there. <laughs> Could you please uh, be seated? Could you please uh, buckle your seat belts? Buckle your, your belts, please. Thank you. Emergency exits are to the left, to the right. Lighted path on the floor. It is an immensely kind of challenging time right now, though, right? Because he and his staff are having to figure out, okay, who's going to be here, who's not. We already know that Andre Jones is declared for the draft. We already know that Michael Jefferson is declared for the draft, so they're not playing in the bowl game. Chris Smith is going to be playing in the NFL PA Bowl. Don't know yet if that means he's going to play in the bowl game or not. We're still waiting to find out about that. But you heard Coach Dez. Look, they talk it out with these kids. They understand that these kids have other people talking to them. So they give their thoughts on it. They give their insight based on what they've talked to with scouts over the years. And if you want to be here, great. If not, that's okay, too. We support your decision. If you're going to be here, awesome. We'd love to have you for the bowl game. If not, that's okay, too. Right? So that's interesting. And, and, and that's what you have to do, right? You really don't have kind of a choice in the matter here. But while he's doing that and you're preparing for a bowl game, you also have the early signing period. And now we have the NCAA transfer portal. So... You're recruiting your own guys. Then you're out there on the recruiting trail trying to get new guys, whether that's in the transfer portal or going to see high school kids or JUCO kids. Oh, and you're preparing for a bowl game all at the same time. Yeah, that's when the taking into account who you hire for those positions of your recruiting guys and your your coordinators and all the other stuff, it all comes into big play. Like, okay, we got to do all of this somehow all in the same time in the same at least two weeks. How are you going to do this? Right. Let's go. Yes. That they have communication is amazing. 
and having to do that and being organized and having other people, you know, pick up the slack, so to speak. And look, they have the opportunity to put together another really good recruiting class. Remember, they lost a ton from last year. They lost, what, four starting linemen? Mm Mm-hmm. One of them has declared for the draft and looks like he's going to be a first-round pick for the University of Florida, Osiris Torrance. You know, they lost four starting offensive linemen. You lost a four-year starter at quarterback. You lost two of your starting running backs. That's a lot. Just on the offense alone, that's a lot. Not to mention most of the staff turned over, the video guy. Billy took everything but the kitchen sink with him. I say, you know, half-jokingly. So... It took a while for this team to gel. I think you saw what this team's potential was late in the season. They got to figure out who the quarterback's going to be. That'll be a decision that'll be made in the spring. But I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with the Cajuns. And this is a big recruiting time, recruiting period for Coach Dez and his staff because now you've had a full season under your belt. How do you keep this thing going? And you know what positions you have. Who are you going to come out? You know you need more uh, depth across your offensive line. You know you're going to need some guys on the defensive side of the line because Andre Jones is gone and Zion Hill Green is graduating. So you have some guys that you're going to have to replace. How do you keep this going? Right? Right. And the fact that you're playing in a bowl game helps you because it shows that you're one of the better teams in the country, even though they're only a six-win team. It does show recruits, hey, we, hey, we're good enough for a bowl game. I'm coming to see you. We got a bowl game to prepare for. That's part of it as well. So this is a, a, a big offseason, if you will, for the Cajuns. And I think it's of great importance that they were able to get to a bowl game. The extra practices, the extra preparation, and being able to use that, hey, first season, yeah, but we're building something here. We want to get back to being a 10-win team next year. You can use that if you have another game to play. It's a little bit harder with recruits if you don't. So I think this is a, a big season, big off season for Coach Dez and his staff. Once again, appreciate him making the time for us this morning here on RP3 and Company. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we're going to talk New Orleans Saints football. That'll be next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Ah, speaking of soccer, the World Cup is on, and we're down to the semifinals. And you know what? You can watch the thrilling action on Delta Media's Telemundo Lafayette, free over the air on KLWB Channel 50.3 and Cox Channel 19. For our Lake Charles listeners, not to worry. If you love the World Cup, we got you covered as well. You can watch on Telemundo Lake Charles, free over the air on Channel 19.2, and Suddenlink Channel 1. 37 that's thrilling world cup action on delta media 
Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. We asked you, do you believe that Cam Jordan was faking it with the old injury on Monday Night Football? Now, just to let you know, that happened while they were up 16-3. to It happened after a third down play. So I don't really buy into the fact that he was doing that to stop the game. Now, if Tom Brady and them were scoring and running a two-minute offense and everything like that, then I could maybe buy it because then it would be strategy. But it didn't seem like strategy to me. And he said MRIs suggested the following day that he had a mild foot sprain. So is that enough to be helped by the trainers? Maybe. But once again, everyone else's pain threshold is different. So I'm not going to speculate there. But we asked you, do you believe Cam was faking his injury, which resulted in a total of a $550,000 fine, $350,000 fine to the Saints, $100,000 to head coach Dennis Allen, fifty dollars to Cam Jordan, and fifty dollars to the defensive coordinator. Right now, overwhelmingly, thirty, uh, sorry, 73% of you say no, no, no. 27% say yes, that he was. Doug has chimed in. Always love Dougie Fresh. Why not? He sees Winston and Thomas collecting a salary for doing nothing. Woo, Doug with the saltiness. It's the holidays and my man is coming in from the top rope. Macho man style. Ooh, flying elbow down. Man is not happy about Michael Thomas <laughs> and Jameis Winston collecting checks for not playing. Not exactly uh, great medical staff there. And they're, uh, you know, doing their job of addressing things. <laughs> In particular, why is the player actually injured? How much is the player injured? Eh, they struggle. They struggle with that type of stuff. <laughs> they just do. I just can't, you know. It's like, oh. Oh, Saints medical staff. Don't you ever change. Don't you ever change. Saints coming off the bye. Now they get to host Atlanta on Sunday. The game was originally thought to be one of the games that was going to be played on Saturday, but... Instead, it's going to be on Sunday inside the Caesars Superdome. Four games left. What is there left to play for? Well, you're playing a rival. It's hate week. Saints hate the Falcons. Falcons hate the Saints. Fan bases hate each other. It's a rivalry game between two teams that aren't very good. So you're just kind of playing for pride at this point, right? Playing for pride and bragging rights. And if you're the Falcons, you know, you choked away that game in the opener that you should have won. And the Saints rallied to win that game. So the Dirty Birds would love nothing more than to get a split here. And just, you know, hand the Saints yet another loss. (laughs) Because technically everyone in the NFC South is still in the race for the playoffs. Because Tampa Bay is just messing around, acting like a, uh, as the, the saying I keep seeing, just sitting there playing around with their food, right? Just messing around, playing around with their food. They look like a team that does not want, has no desire whatsoever. 
whatsoever to get into the playoffs. Now, we get a decision yesterday about this team in particular at quarterback. And we find out that Andy Dalton will be the starter for Sunday's game. That causes certain people to roll their eyes, in particular one who produces a morning show named RP3 and Company. Like, honestly, I could feel your eye roll from over here. (laughs) The disdain for Dennis Allen grows by the day. And DA was asked, you know, hey, what are your thoughts on taking a look at Jameis Winston anytime soon? Yeah, I think we'll I think we'll 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 evaluate everything as we, you know, finish out these last four games, you know. But I look I I think, you know, Andy's 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 done some good things. Um I think we've got to do a lot of other things around him to 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 help him and that includes, you know, us as a coaching staff putting everybody in better positions. If there was an award that could be given out to a coach who embodies saying nothing and embodies coach speak in the NFL, Dennis Allen has to be the front runner for that award. Like, is there anyone better at not answering a direct question with a direct answer and then just giving you coach speak? dribble more than Dennis Allen is there anyone better no I think not I think not and he's done some good things for us but yes we're still losing the records <laughs> he did I didn't realize Dennis Allen had a lisp <laughs> he's not Daffy Duck I'm, I'm yeah you made him now you believe Dennis Allen is Daffy Duck okay yeah there we go I, I I'm gonna go out we only have four games left and I know Andy can get injured For all you out there listening right now, it is 742 on this lovely Tuesday, December 13th. You're not seeing Jameis Winston in a game the rest of the year. No. Just just go ahead and stop with all that. (laughs) I know it's confusing because he put Winston out there with stress fractures in his back. But now that he's healthy, he won't put him back in. It's... It's not a great look. The whole season's not a great look. But this man is riding and dying with the red rifle. That decision has been made. He is not coming off from that decision whatsoever. Dennis Allen is rolling with the red rifle, Andy Dalton. That is a done deal. You have to accept it. Jameis Winston ain't getting back onto the field unless something happens to Andy Dalton. Unless Andy Dalton gets a concussion and has to leave a game, Winston ain't stepping back onto the field. That's my bold prediction with four games left. Because if we haven't seen it by now, I don't think we're going to see it. He's not going to throw Winston out there. Even when the season's lost, even when they're mathematically eliminated from playoff contention, this man's going to trot out Andy Dalton and say, this is my guy. He does some good things. Yes, that's why I have Rose the record still, right? It's not all on the quarterback. I'm going to stop you right there. I I understand you're frustrated with Dennis Allen. I get that. But the quarterback is not the only position on the field. There is systematic failure with this franchise from the front office decisions to the coaching to the quarterback to the defensive line to the defensive backs to the offensive line to the running backs to the wide receivers to the tight ends. Everyone has failed. 
It just ain't a quarterback thing. And I'm going to be honest with you, they probably wouldn't be that much better with Jameis Winston out there. Because it ain't about the quarterback. It really isn't. It's about the coaching, the developing, the preparation, the game planning. That's where this team lacks. If this team was better coached during the week, if this team was better coached during the offseason, during the preseason, they would have a better record. Maybe if more practice were mandatory and not just volunteering. They were 9-8 and eight last year with Jameis Winston, Taysom Hill, Trevor Simeon, and Ian Book at quarterback. Andy Dalton is a better quarterback, and Jameis Winston's a better quarterback than three of those guys last year. And they're not better. Why? You already know the answer to the question. You already know the answer to the question. Just saying. They had Dennis Allen. <laughs> That's exactly why. He he's, was, he's that guy. Like, his decision to – it's not even about the free about the record. But, like, I'm putting an, an analogy to people. If you were playing deal or no deal right now, and Dennis Allen was playing, and he had one case that had $7 in it, and the other case has half a million dollars in it, Dennis Allen might have $7 in that case, but he's sticking with that case. That's which is the other one. He's going to only get the $7. Yes. That's how it is with him and Andy Dalton and James Winston. And a lot of other things. <laughs> because I think there's a lot of other things going on behind the scenes that we're not seeing at practice that it, it is causing these decisions and this kind of stubbornness. It, just simple stuff of you're running Mark Ingram outside when he's, let's be honest, an over-the-hill running back that's more of a down, downhill runner. You're running him on the outside, and you're running Kamara, who is more of a scat back on the inside instead of the outside. Now, you, you, we, we keep saying the same thing week after week after week. So the stubbornness that you're talking about is just not about Andy Dalton. No, but the whole entire there it is. thing. There it is. There it is. Why do we hire him? Let, Why do we move up a guy that didn't want to be moved up? Why do we move him up? Because we're dumb. That's why. You feel better? No. No. All right. There we go. I was trying to help you. <laughs> <laughs> They've also, you know, all throughout this season, they have an inability to win close games. When things get tight, when things become a single possession for the Saints this year, they crumble and they've been able un, unable to close the deal. And Dennis Allen was asked about why they've been un, unable to win those those games. Yeah, I, look, I think I think ultimately it gets down to our ability to go out and make plays on the field. And, and I, I feel like, you know, in each one of these games, you know, there's a handful of plays that we have an opportunity to make that we that we haven't made that that you know, kind of makes a difference between between winning and losing. And this is a, you know, you're, it's a highly competitive uh, league. And so the difference in winning and losing is a, is a small, small margin, fine line. Um, and so, um, look, we're going to continue to evaluate it as we finish out these last four games, um, you know, because I, I, I still feel like there's a good football team in there um, in, in and uh, feel like we can win a lot of games. Not this season. <laughs> for, for, first of all, there's only four games left, my man. That's not a lot, right? That's less than a handful. So even if you win out, that's not a lot of football games. And you are 4-9, which means no matter what you do, you will have a losing record. Even if you win your final four games. 
That means you're eight and nine. That's a losing record. Oh, good old, good old, good old DA. He never. You know something else they haven't done? It doesn't feel like they get Alvin Kamara the ball enough or they don't get him the ball in the right situations, right? We've talked about, hey, let's run AK between the left guard and the left tackle instead of putting him in space, which is that's the best thing he's at. And there are times where they just don't use AK at all, right? He's not even on the field. Dennis Allen talked about the need to get his best offensive playmaker, the ball boy. Yeah, we talked about that. We've talked about that. Um, you know, I think, look, Alvin's a good football player. Um, and so we have to find ways to allow him to be the playmaker that he's been for us in the past. And so, um, yeah, there's been discussion about differing ways of, of, of doing that. And so uh, that'll be something that we will focus on, yes. <laughs> Go ahead. I know you want to chime in. I just, I just see it on your face. We've talked about it. We should probably give him room to be the best player he is. Then maybe ask him where he likes to be played because maybe he knows what his best strengths are. So maybe you should be, you should do that. Just it's a thought. Just, it's just simple things, right? It's not getting Kamara the ball in space. It's not having him on the field sometimes in situations where you could utilize his talents. They do the same thing with Taysom Hill where they don't have him on the field at times. And, and, and you know, I go back to that Monday night game. After Ingram runs out of bounds on the play that essentially has ended his career, <laughs> and they come back in his third and one, and they do the slant play to Callaway, right? We talked about this with Ralph Mulrow yesterday on the show. He said, under Sean Payton, that play would go in the other direction because that's how it's designed. So they're not doing fundamental things. Like, that play to Callaway, it should have went the other direction of the field because that is a higher percentage play for your quarterback. It's just simple stuff like that. Having Ingram run outside instead of inside. Having Kamara run inside instead of outside. Not having Taysom Hill on the field for – he's a, a great offensive playmaker. Not having him on the field in third-down situations. Not having your wide receivers call up the game plan to have them go the right direction. It's little stuff like that for two guys that have been on staff under Sean Payton for a decade. Mm -hmm. And they're not doing the little things. That shows me the preparation. What's happening during the week is not on point. It's like they, it's like he, they took the saying of don't try somebody else, be yourself, so literal. They're doing the complete opposite of what Sean Payton does. Like, I believe that Dennis Allen Powell uses his own death chart to realize what position his players play and still gets it wrong. He was also asked, hey, coach, 4-9, things have not gone well. Do you need to execute your game plan better or maybe change up the scheme? And this is what he had to say. I think we got to look at some of the things that we're doing schematically. Um, and a lot of it is is just our our uh, our execution, and maybe the execution is how we teaching it, you know. So um, I think that's the good thing about you know our program here is that we're all like you know nobody's trying to point the finger anywhere. We're all you know trying to get it fixed. There we go. 
I mean, you're pointing the finger. Hannah's pointing the finger right now. <laughs> As you point the finger. <sighs> you know, look, I'll give credit to Salty Steve. He was one of the few people that didn't think this team was going to be a playoff team before the start of the season. And he looked to the, to the desert, to Vegas, and I want to say he had told us the over-under was seven for the win total for the Saints. A lot of people are like, and I even thought, well, that seems low. This team won nine games a year ago. They may not even get to seven. Like, the the Vegas guys, the bookies, the guys who know their stuff said over-under seven for the Saints. They may have even been wrong. This team may be so bad that it may even not even reach what the bookies thought, and they thought the max for this team was seven wins. Think about that for a second. Or don't, if that makes you uh, brings you displeasure. We have to take a timeout. We'll wrap up hour number two. Update that poll question of the day. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. The biggest names in today's music are taking over Gulf Shores, Alabama in 2023. Hangout Fest returns May 19th to the 21st with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Calvin Harris, Paramore, Lil Nas X. My daughter loves Lil Nas X, by the way. And so much more. 103.7 The Game. 104.1 Lake Charles. That's right. Guess what? We got VIP passes to Hangout Fest. Enter in our rewards club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. VIP gives you access to exclusive viewing areas, stage side pools, hot tubs, and gourmet food. Hello. Hangout Fest is a beach vacation like no other. Find out more by visiting 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com today. Poll question of the day. Do you believe Cameron Jordan was faking his injury, which he was fined $50,000 for, and the Saints were fined a total of $550,000? 71% of you say no, 29% say yes. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Two hours are in the books. Guess what? Final hour coming up. We'll kick it off with Jim Gazzolo, the great one. That's right. Our buddy from Lake Charles talking all things McNeese. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Eight oh three on this tremendous Tuesday morning. We've had a good show so far today. Covered plenty of ground. Talked Cam Jordan being fined for faking an injury by the NFL. The NFL also fining 
the Saints. That also leads us to our poll question of the day. We've had plenty of discussion about that. We also heard from Dennis Allen giving, well, not really answering questions, which he's really good at. I'm, I'm talking about, look, they give out the Coach of the Year award, which obviously he's not going to win. But if they give out an award for coach who doesn't answer questions directly and fills it up with bland coach speak, DA is the front runner for that award. Just saying. Y'all have at least that, Saints fan. Talk to Raging Cajuns men's basketball team getting a win last night against Louisiana Christian. They are going to wrap up their non-conference schedule with back-to-back road games before Christmas. The first one will be this Thursday at the Legacy Center versus the McNeese Cowboys. And McNeese is coming off a road trip to Iowa where they beat Northern Iowa, a perennial NCAA tournament team, hung tough for a half with Iowa State before a bad start to the second half doomed that game on Sunday. To talk more about the McNeese Cowboys is our good friend, the man who hosts the McNeese Coaches Show every Wednesday night here on The Game. He also hosts Poke Nation and covers the Meanies Cowboys for the Lake Charles American Press. The great one himself, Mr. Jim Gazzolo. Jim, good morning. How are you? I'm fine, Raymond. I'm fine. You know, I found out the difference between me and you right there. You come on with a song that says everything's going to be all right, and I think nothing's going to be all right. You are what we like to call a tad pessimistic. Yes, I would say that's fair. Okay. Um, I also, look, I I owe you an apology. Do you have a moment for me to to give that to you live on the air? Sure. We came up with a great new nickname for you, and I did not unveil it with the introduction. My apologies, uh, my friend. You are now going to be known as Jimmy G from LC. Jimmy G from LC joining us here on RP3 and Company. How's that sound to you, bud? Uh, Incredibly younger than I am. (laughs) It's incredibly younger than I am. So that puts things in perspective as well. Oh, all right. Let's talk about John Aiken's uh, team. They needed that win on the road against Northern Iowa. That's usually a, a very good uh, mid-major program they they often go to the NCAA tournament or the NIT so that's a quality win they played tough for a half against Iowa State what do you make of what you saw from the Cowboys on that Iowa road trip uh I think it was I, I think we saw more inconsistency in play um but we saw them come up with a win which they couldn't do at Middle Tennessee when they should have uh they kind of gave that game away we see an improved team um, but still an inconsistent team. You know, the, the Iowa State game looks good for 19 minutes and 54 seconds, and then a 19-0 run to end the first half, start the second end. But 30 turnovers, you can't have 30 turnovers, and, and that's what killed them. And that's been a problem all season, right, the the, the turnovers oh, yeah. and, trying to, yeah. and trying to figure that out. Now, is that rooted in the fact that they're still trying to find their way with English at the point, or is that just more of they just get sometimes too excited out there and just you know commit the dumb turnover? Both, um, no true point guard, and the fact that they go way, way out of control for periods of the time and and maybe get hit with three 
or for uh, charging fouls, um, throw the ball away on fast breaks, a little bit of both, uh, just an inconsistent. At, at times they look really good, but, you know, you take away the power five money games and they're three and four. But that means they lost some games that they shouldn't have. They gave away the game in Middle Tennessee with uh, eight for 27 foul shooting. You lose by three. They kind of gave away the, the game against Lindenwood. Um, those are games you can't give away if you want to have a winning record because you're going to have to play the four power games they've done. What do you think you're going to see out of this team against the Louisiana Raging Cajuns on Thursday? Or, or what are you wanting to see from them to make a difference, to start making some improvements? Well, this is an this is an interesting game to me because the Raging Cajuns are are nine and one, off to a very good start. But they this is where programs and universities differ. They don't have to go out and play the money games McNeese does. So the records are kind of skewed that way. Uh, I think the biggest team um, Lafayette has played is SMU, correct? And they they won that game. McNeese has had to play three top 25 teams. We'll have to play a fourth. The money games kind of skew the records, but I think what I've seen is if uh, UL provides or can pressure the McNeese guards, especially in the front court, um, then McNeese will have a hard time getting into their offense. I want to see them be able to break down pressure, run their offense, and get clean shots off of it. If they do that, they end up playing a pretty good game. I think their defense will be okay. Their defense has improved. Uh, but that's that's really the thing is can they get enough, uh, like not commit enough turnovers to where they get up enough shots? What does this game mean for the McNeese program to have the Louisiana Raging Cajuns come and play in the Legacy Center, an old-school I-10 rival? Uh, it means so much that they're turning back the clocks, they call it, and it's going to be $5 for every ticket in the building. Ooh, um, that's a that's a nice way to pack the pack the legacy center. Yeah, they're doing that for tomorrow night's women's game against Monroe, kind of reinviting the Southland back. But I think it, it obviously means more down here than it does at Lafayette. Let's face it, um, because they've lost seven in a row to the Cajuns, because they're trying to get where UL is. So to the fan base in that. It's a bigger deal here than it is there. To get them in here, remember, they, didn't, they haven't played here for three years. Uh, last year was supposed to be played in, in Lake Charles. The two schools agreed not to play at Burton because Legacy Center wouldn't be ready until January. And in doing so, they agreed that the next two years, this year and next, they'll play at the Legacy Center. So I, I think it's a big game because it's the last mid-major before conference in-house. So I think it's a, it's a game that they have to play well in to impress their fans. Talking with Jim Gazzolo, he covers the Meanies Cowboys for the Lake Charles American Press. He's also host of the Meanies Coaches Show as well as Poke Nation. He joins us here in RP3 and Company. How important is it for this basketball team, in particular the men's team, to be good, to be competitive? I'm not talking about winning championships, but – with the town on the men, 
the area bouncing back. You have the state-of-the-art facility rebuilt. How important is it to put out a winner on the court, and how soon does that need to get done, Jim, before fans start getting a little restless? Oh, I think they're restless. <laughs> At no time in in my knowledge has more money, more boosters been kind of embraced in basketball here. This is not a basketball town, but, but there has been some investment made Obviously, you have the, the at least one of the premier, if not the premier, facilities in the conference. You have an opportunity because the conference tournament is going to be played here to have an easier road to the NCAA tournament. It is a prime um, program waiting to take off. It needs to show some improvement from last year. It needs to really do something in the tournament besides win one game because they're hosting it. This does no good to a city if all of a sudden we become Katie East and we play two teams that have no local interest and nobody shows up for the title game. So th- this has to be, to me, McNeese has to make a run in the tournament as much as anything else. But they have to have a decent uh, competitive regular season to draw that interest. What's decent for them in year two under John Aiken then? I think a fourth or fifth place finish. With, te- with trending up at the end of the year. I think that allows them then to go in and host. I, I think a fifth place actually is better than fourth for the tournament because then they get an extra game in the tournament. They should win. They should beat the number eight. So in a way, fifth would actually benefit the tournament more because you get one more local game. But for them, if they could finish fourth and get a bye and then win a game and get to the finals, I, I think that that to me would be a solid season, especially if they have a nice – if it looks like we're trending up, if it looks like they're playing better basketball. Um, the Southland looks like it's an improved basketball conference overall, so we'll see what they do. What do you make of what you've seen from the women's team so far this season? Um, a lot of the same things, turnovers, turnovers, turnovers. Um, the women – It'll be interesting to see tomorrow night the women because for the first time in, I don't know, maybe since the third game of the season, they'll be healthy. Um, they went on a trip to the Midwest, played four games, got beat by two um, Big Ten teams, including Ohio State, and really only had about six or seven people healthy to play because of the flu bug in each game. Now they've had two weeks off. Um, they're home against Monroe. Brooks Donald Williams, the last coach to really have success for the women, is back in town. Uh, I think we'll see a better team, but I want to see, I want to see some flow. Uh, again, when you have the turnovers, you don't have the flow in your offense. It kind of just stagnates you, and that's their problem too. Do you have? More- and they're also missing their starting point guard. Do you have more confidence in the women to turn things around or the men, or do you feel like they're pretty much neck and neck right now at this point? Uh, after last – well, because because the women had some success last year and finished fourth in the league, I would say the women. And a lot of them are back. So there's there's more of a track record. The men are just newer. So I haven't, I haven't seen it from them where I saw it from the women. 
Jim, I have confidence in everybody, Ray. You know that. You are a, a, a beaming light of positivity. That's what you are. <laughs> a beaming light of positivity. Very nice. We're a week and a day from National Signing Day early period for football. Do you expect Gary Goff, who's out and about recruiting right now, he and his staff, you know, giving offers left and right, do you expect them to be able to sign some guys during the early period? Because typically for schools in the Southland, they don't have that many guys they sign during the early period because the early period is usually designed for power five schools to, you know, yeah. s- you know, to rack up and, you know, stock up on things. But do you expect yeah. golf and his staff to be aggressive and try to sign some guys during the early period? Well, they're going to try to, um, obviously they couldn't sign anybody last year in the early period because he wasn't here. That is correct. I, I have seen a lot of social media commitments. Now, do those commitments end up staying is the big question. I see about five or six. I would imagine they'll, they'll, they'll sign maybe eight, nine, maybe up to ten. Uh, I think they'll, that'll be a junior college type or kids that are graduating early that know they want to start school early uh, from high school. But, again, like you said, because of the trickle-down effect, I think it's more – the recruiting here matters more for February on this level than it does on, on early signing day. That's for the big boys. But it would be interesting if he could lock up at least a couple of guys during the early period, right? Because that would show yeah. that he's getting kids sure. interested and invested in what he's trying to build in Lake Charles. Yeah, and it's all a momentum thing when – kids talk and they know each other and hey I'm, I'm signing early and then maybe more people take a look at you um the transfer portal kind of changes all this because that's where a lot of the big interest goes so the trickle down is kind of a little different now because i think the transfer portal takes so much of the media attention and national attention because of the big names but i i, I think from from what i've seen they're going to have a few more than than usual um signing early but i have that Let's be realistic. I have not seen um, a quarterback commit. So, <laughs> no. Until I see a quarterback commit, they can I'll work. They, they 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 can work and focus on other things and get that quarterback maybe during the traditional period in February. But they still got time. They still got plenty of time to get their QB. Well, that's what that's what, that's the one I want to see because they were on some junior college kids, and if they could get one of them. The interesting thing about quarterbacks is always if you get one early, does that intrigue other positions maybe, but not other quarterbacks when you need more quarterbacks? Because they all want to be the alpha male right when they walk in the room. Well, you don't look. They they all want to be. That's you, alpha male. Oh, see, I was going to tell you, you you beat me to the punch. Bravo, sir. Bravo. My, our guy, you love him. He covers the Lake, uh, the McNeese Cowboys for the Lake Charles American Press. He's the host of Poke Nation. He's also the host of the McNeese Coaches Show. Jimmy G from LC, thank you for your time, bud. Um, sure, Raymond. Jimmy G said, okay. <laughs> we got to take a time out. But before we do, hey, got to let you know, Lafayette Marble and Granite, My friends over there, Chris and his team, they offer the largest selection of granite, quartz, and marble in Acadiana, and they appreciate the opportunity to earn your business. As you've heard me tell you before, LMG provides more than show-stopping marble countertops. 
for your kitchens, your bathrooms, and your man caves. LMG also now has an extensive selection of custom shower builds with their new line of grout-free showers. That's right. No muss, no fuss, and no smelly odor in a couple of years. No, no, you don't have to worry about that. Make sure to visit their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com to learn more about all the sensational services and the great products they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Visit lmgelite.com or stop by their renovated showroom located right there on I-49 North across from the Hub City Ford and the Jockey Lot. Lafayette Marble and Granite, they're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. Got to take a time out when we return. Bob Nightingale from USA Today, Major League Baseball columnist, reporter, join us. Busy offseason. He'll give us his thoughts on that next, right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, oof, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced <laughs> last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It has been a busy, busy Major League Baseball offseason winter meetings and tons of money being spent. For all of those who say, well, baseball's a dying sport. No one cares about baseball. Uh, the contracts that are handed out suggest otherwise. So anytime anyone says that, they're like, well, look at the, mo- the amount of money being thrown around to players every offseason. It is enormous. To break it down for us is our good friend, the award-winning columnist reporter from USA Today covering Major League Baseball, Bob Nightingale. Bob, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Yeah, doing okay. Thank you. All right, let's get to the the trade yesterday that caught some folks by surprise because we haven't had that many trades. But the Braves were involved with the trade with Oakland. It was a three-team trade. What do you make of that, and how surprised were you that Atlanta pulled off a trade like that? Well, I was very surprised just because, you know, they already had a uh, all-star catcher in you know, William Contreras. Obviously, Sean Murphy's a, you know, a different catcher, uh, you know, great defense where Contreras is not. Well, it was a steep price. I mean, they gave away uh, two of their top pitching prospects, uh, you know, two catchers so to, to get Sean Murphy. So, yeah, it came as a uh, – it had been rumored. And then uh, Alex Antopoulos had said, no, that's not going to happen. And – Sure enough, they make a three-way trade out of it, and he pulls it off. What do you make of his approach with the Braves? Obviously, they won the World Series two seasons ago. They've locked up the majority of their young talent, right? They, they give those guys deals and extend them. What do you make of his approach of building a franchise and running the franchise? Yeah, I mean, obviously done a uh, you know fantastic job. You know, done as well a job as as any GM out there, uh, particularly you know without 
huge, huge resources, or at least you know resources that the uh, that they haven't spent, and uh, you know just doing more of a homegrown type team. Uh, you know they let a uh, Brady Freeman walk and trade for you know Olson. They're probably gonna let Nancy Swanson walk and, and go with their uh, young guy Bond. And they they make those types of decisions in their same division. I don't think there's been a team that's been busier this offseason than the New York Mets. They had a lot of guys leave. Jacob DeGrom left to go sign with the Rangers, but they've added Verlander. They've added others. What do you make of the Mets' approach this offseason where they've been the busiest team of any team in the big leagues? Yeah, I think Steve Cohen's thing is that, you know what, I was trying to play nice, and now I just want to spend money, and I I don't care what the luxury tax is. So our payroll is around $350 million of luxury tax. They're going to pay over $400 million. So they're blowing right right past this thing. I mean, he's going to pay over $70 million in luxury tax penalties, which is more than about 18 payrolls. Yeah, they added Singa yesterday to a five-year deal, $75 million. I mean, they're just blowing through money. Like it's like like it's going out of style. Like they're they're being forced to spend the money, or it's it's absolutely insane. What do you think the biggest challenge for the Mets is going to be with so much turnover and kind of retooling the team on the fly like this, and adding so many new faces and spending so much money? What do you think the biggest challenge still is for the Mets? You know, I think mean, I think just to stay healthy and they get two older pitchers, of course, Scherzer and Verlander, make sure they're you know make sure they're good to go. Uh, otherwise, you know, maybe uh, you know, try to find a, a third baseman somewhere. Uh, you know, maybe some more bullpen depth. That's about it. I mean, you know, they, they've uh, got pretty much all their big problems solved. But you know, again, the starter in Verlander, you know, bringing back uh, Brandon Nemo, you know, bringing back uh, the closer Edwin Diaz. So they've already answered most of their, you know big time problems. Let's go to the Boston Red Sox because. This is a team that's won multiple World Series championships in the last decade plus. Uh, I, I know they're up and down, Bob, where they're either a World Series contender or the next year they're you know below 500. So I, I get there's a, a, a peaks and valleys when it comes to the Red Sox, but they lost yet another one of their guys in Bogarts who goes to the Padres and, and gets a huge payday. Why is Boston struggling to keep their own talent the last four or five years? Well, they just don't want to pay the big bucks. I mean, they, um, that's all there is to it. And they trade Mookie Betts uh, because he thought it was going to cost too much money. Uh, obviously, you know they could have they could have given Bogarts what he wanted uh, way back before the season started, and only offered a one year, thirty million dollar extension. So they're just kind of going, you know, spend more money like a bid, like a mid market team rather than a big market team. What do the Padres do now after this trade? Because they have a bit of a logjam in their middle infield, right? So what what do you think the game plan is going to be for the Padres? And are they done? No, they're not done. Uh, yeah, they're simply going to move uh, two shortstops in a position. You know, they're going to move, uh, you know, Kim over to uh, second base and then move uh, Tatis to uh, left field. Uh, I think they'll still – they're still in the market for a starter. I wouldn't be surprised if they see them getting uh, – you know Carlos Rodon. You know he's a top starter out there. He would make uh, he would make a lot of sense, and maybe grab a uh, you know grab a first baseman somewhere. But I I think they'll I think they'll keep on spending money. 
where does Danzy Swanson and Carlos Correa end up now that the shortstop market has been set the way it's been set? Well, it looks like Swanson, you know, is going to end up with the Cubs. They need to grab a shortstop. Uh, you know, everybody you know price themselves over what the Cubs want to spend. I don't see the Cubs spending over three hundred million dollars for Carlos Correa. So you could probably get you know Dancy Swanson for you know mid one hundreds drop in their lap. Uh, and I don't complete rule out the Cardinals on Swanson, but I, I I think he ends up with the Cubs. Then we'll see about Rondona. You know I, I still think the Yankees make the most sense. But like I said I, I certainly don't rule out a uh, a team like the Padres or or a team like the uh, San Francisco Giants. And what about Carlos Correa? Uh, I'm not sure where he ends up. You know, I think there's just three spots, really. You know, Minnesota has already, you know, offered him the most money uh, in franchise history, you know, everywhere from a six-year contract to a 10-year contract. Uh, then, you got, you know, then you got San Francisco. Uh, you know, I, I would think a, uh, I would think San Francisco make the most sense. And their fans are disappointed because they didn't get Aaron Judge. Obviously, they got $360 million. You know, they did not spend. Um, yeah, my gut tells me it'll be the San Francisco Giants. Hey, I don't think the Cubs. I, I, I don't think the Cubs are in it. But I, I, I like the San Francisco Giants more than the other two. Bob, more than a billion was spent during the winter meetings. What do you make of that? And does that tell you anything, I mean, about the state of Major League Baseball moving forward? Well, it shows you how financially strong it is. I mean, now, you know, since the agency started, uh, over $2 billion has been spent. I mean, it's crazy. And we've never seen contracts like this ever. Uh, you know, remember they just got a uh, $900 million by selling the rest of their uh, streaming technology to Disney. That's, you know, $30 million per team. You know, so teams are saying, you know what, let me spend that money. But I just think it just shows how strong financially you know, all these teams are and how strong baseball is. Bob, appreciate your time as always. Brother, try to uh, catch your breath and get some rest. I know there's still a lot of free agent moves to be made, and you'll be right on top of it, brother. Thank you for the time. Sure. Take care, B. Thank you. we got to take a timeout. When we return, it'll be time to talk New Orleans Pelicans basketball with our guy, Ali Cassell, from the Bird Rights. That's next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Great news, my sports-loving friend. No more aimlessly searching for sports talk love by swiping left or right. That's because you've already found the perfect match. For sports talk love, that is... Now, back to the only lover you'll ever need. The game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. NBA fans, DraftKings Sportsbook is my go-to when betting on the NBA this holiday season. I'm a big fan of player prop bets. Like tonight's Pelicans game, right? They're on the road, taking on the Utah Jazz. They sh- if they win the game, they should probably just get the name back. But that's a discussion for another day. But, for example, player prop bets tonight. Who is the first to score the first bucket of the game for the Pelicans, right? Zion, 
425. Plus 425. Valachunas, plus 400. Ooh. How about double doubles? If you place a prop bet for C.J. McCollum to get the double-double, ooh, that's 1,100. Zion is only plus 255. So I like to play around a little bit with those prop bets. And here's the deal. Right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving Louisiana NBA fans a special gift. For a limited time, you can get a no-sweat bet on every New Orleans Pelicans game this December. Check this out. This month, everyone can earn a no-sweat bet with DraftKings Sportsbook. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, opt in under the Promos tab, and place an eligible bet of your choice on a New Orleans game. If it doesn't hit, you'll get your money back in a free bet. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today. New customers can sign up with promo code 1037GAME. That's 1037GAME. And get a no-sweat bet on every New Orleans Pelicans game this December. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app and opt in today to receive this limited-time offer only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 years of age to play. Physically present in Louisiana. Select parishes only. Max reward limits apply. One free bet issued based on amount of initial losing bet. Eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms. Licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles. And if you have a gambling problem or know someone that does, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Let's talk about those New Orleans Pelicans on the road against the Utah Jazz. They've won seven straight. They're the hottest team in the NBA. Sit atop the Western Conference standings after taking back-to-back games in a three-game stretch against the Phoenix Suns. To do so is our friend from the Bird Rights, Ali Cassell. Ali, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Good morning, Raymond. How how could I be but ecstatic, right? Looking at the standings every morning, Pelicans, number one. What stood out to you the most about the two games against the Phoenix Suns? They tried like crazy to win both games, even though they didn't have Devin Booker in Sunday's game. I was impressed with the Suns' effort, and the Pelicans, of course, didn't wilt. I mean, that first game, Phoenix got so hot in uh, from three-point range in that fourth quarter where they nailed, what was it, I think eight in a row in that fourth quarter, and they took the lead, but Pelicans held on. And then in Sunday's game, uh, Pelicans looked like they were going to probably win, but then suddenly things got tied up, went into overtime. And for the first time this season, they won an overtime game. So they're winning in all sorts of ways, and they beat a very good team twice. So I like that. It's easy to say Zion is the reason why they've been winning all these games without Brandon Ingram and Herb Jones both. Two starters have been out. One of them is an all-star. Is it as simple as Zion is growing up and becoming a grown man in this league? Is it as simple as that, Ollie? It's a big part of it, Raymond. I mean, look at this seven-game winning streak and what he's put up. I think he's 30 points, nine rebounds, five assists, making two-thirds of his shots, hitting some threes, and then there's those block and steal numbers. He's doing everything that, you know, we saw at Duke, and that that's leading the way. But you know what? He's been getting help. And it feels like every night, besides Zion, there's like two or three guys that are having big games. Right? Last game, Najee. C.J. McCollum finally woke up. Um, in, in the previous game, in the Friday's game, win over the Suns, Jose Alvarado came up big. So it's multiple players every given night. But Zion, yes, he's leading the, leading the charge. So you know what we should be doing? And I hope national media is doing. Talking about him being an MVP candidate, a real one. Let's dive a little bit deeper into that because had a couple of listeners ask me about that. And some people say, hey, 
can we pump the brakes? Can we wait until we see this be sustained for, you know, half the season before jumping the gun on on Zion? You say go ahead and jump the gun, right? You you have no trepidation here of waiting to have his name put into the MVP mix. No, because everybody's already been talking about it and talking about it for weeks. It feels like national media starts talking about all these awards, and especially MVP, just a month into the season. So if you're going to talk about it, well, let's let's toss in a real name. I mean, at the start of the year, what was it? Donovan Mitchell was up there. Luka Doncic. But look, both of their teams have kind of gone downhill, and suddenly Anthony Davis was getting mentioned a lot over the last couple of weeks. And to me, the Lakers are still under 500, so he's not that real of a candidate. But look, Zion's Pels. Number one, you got to give credit to somebody, and Zion's been playing as well as anybody in the league. So I have absolutely no problem with it. And for those that need half a season, look, we're a third of the way through this season. And statistically, that, that's enough of big enough of a sample size. So I, I can get why there's trepidation because of his injury history. But I'll tell you what, Zion looks strong. He looks fit. I've got no problems throwing him up there because his foot looks as healthy as it's ever been. The other thing that stands out to me about him, and I've mentioned this on the air, Ollie, is when he first got into the league, he's the kid with the big smile. And you and I talked about sometimes he lacked having that dog in him, as they like to say these days, the kids do. I see a different player this year. I see a guy determined, not to say that he's not still fun-loving and in a, in a good kid, but he feels like he's a man, now that he is ascended from being a young player a young man to being a man and really kind of growing into his role it feels like he's ascending that way is that how you feel about it I do and we've all noticed it and asked the other players about it because at Duke we saw a guy that lived by a motto called killers kill and so we would see honestly a lot of that personality come out and you're right for whatever reason, under Stan Van Gundy, we really didn't see it. There was glimpses in his rookie season, but not as much as now. And to me, it's like he's coming out of his shell. Um, and, and part of that has to be maturity, right? He's finally comfortable in his own skin, being on national TV, getting that acclaim, and just being true to who he is. So I loved in Friday's game that he ended it with a dunk, right? Pelicans had that win in the bag, but I'm glad that he went out and sent a message. I think that's the real Zion, right? He wants to... Basically, let people know he's the best player on the best team. Deep down, he believes it, and, and I, I love the fact that he's showing everybody that. Talking with Ollie Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights. He joins us here in RP3 and Company. My big question mark for this team was I knew they were going to be good because they have a good young coach. They had the veteran that they were desperately needing in C.J. McCollum, the floor general, right, the guy that can set up everything for everybody. And my big question mark was, how are they going to incorporate Zion into this mix with the great chemistry that they developed late last year in the second half and in the playoffs? And, you know, that would probably take some time. And that hasn't been the case. But now we have a situation where All-Star B.I. has been out for, let's, let's be honest, majority of the start of the season. Herb Jones has been out. Is the big challenge for them moving forward incorporating Herb and in particular B.I. and figuring out a way that Zion, Valachunas, B.I., and Herb can be on the floor at the same time. Is that going to be the big challenge for Willie Green? I think that's it, no question. 
we saw this this starting lineup, the regular starting lineup with Brandon Ingram play a total of ten games so far. Yeah, that's and, you it. They got twenty six games already, you know, under their belts. And when in those ten games, there was some really good moments, but overall, there wasn't uh, that cohesiveness you want to see, and especially with Zion, right? You weren't sure who was supposed to be you know, taking charge, right? Because Brandon Ingram kind of looked for his spot, Zion, and CJ seemed to dominate more than the rest of those two and everybody else on, on the team. And, and it just didn't look fluid, right? So it seems like this team's honestly played its best ball when somebody's been out. So, yeah, you've got to be able to incorporate all your weapons before the playoffs start because, let's face it, that, that that's what's going to win you, you know, hopefully a championship by having everybody firing on all uh, cylinders and getting the most out of this entire team so fortunately there's still two-thirds of the season left and you feel good about one thing here the fact that nobody's really selfish right you don't have say a Carmelo Anthony type of mindset offensively and defensively boy the buy-in we saw B.I. I thought early in the season looked really good defensively but now Zion but now Zion's playing well defensively like he's actually giving hit his all on that end of the floor so that's been the biggest key for me can this starting lineup not only produce points, which we know they could, but give you something defensively? Because if you just look at the names and what they've done previously in their careers, it didn't give you a lot of comfort, right? But now I think there is, but we got to see them out there, right? They've got to get a lot of games under their belts, I feel like, before the playoffs. Otherwise, it could be an issue that creeps up on them. We'll wrap it up with this. It feels like Willie's figured out his bench, and in particular the two guys that he wants to come off the bench night in and night out to be those guys, to be those alphas that come off the bench. What do you make of using the the wily veterans, as I like to call them, as those two guys that seemingly have just kind of naturally, organically happened? Yeah, um, you say two guys. I'll tell you what, I think it's a five-strong bench. And I know you, I think you're talking about what, Larry Nance and, and Najee. Uh, Najee, that yeah. was going to be my guest, even though he's what? He's still relatively young, 25 years of age. But yeah, Najee's Najee's been so incredibly impressive because last year, you knew that he'd give you effort, right? But you know, sometimes he was just flat out chaotic out there. Yeah, yeah, he was. He right? Was. I mean, he'd throw up these crazy wild shots, airball some threes, you know, bring up the ball up in transition and it end up in a turnover. But now he's his game's under so much control and he he's playing with so much force out there and giving you all those little things. I mean, I loved in the last game. You know, he went right at the Suns, and I love when I see him battling for rebounds and ripping it away from opposing centers like he did DeAndre Ayton. So when he's doing all those type of things, boy, this team's going to be so hard to beat. And so, yeah, Larry Nance, Swiss Army knife, uh, Willie Green called him. Najee Marshall's just a knife because he's going to keep basically stabbing at the opponent. But we can't overlook, right, Jose Alvarado. That's true. Um, Trey Murphy, he's going to be coming off the bench too. And then, of course, Dyson Daniels. So you've got shooters, you've got tough-minded opponents, or excuse me, tough-minded players, but also a defensive presence. So I feel like when, when Willie goes to his bench, this team becomes better, right? Because if you're down in a game like we've seen often this year, that bench, they're going to flip that momentum around for you. So it's the best bench in the league, hands down for me. I know a lot of people at the start of the season didn't see it, but we kind of thought they would be, right? They'd be deep, but they are. I, I'd even put them ahead of the Boston Celtics right now, Raymond. Ollie, there's no one that I would put in front of you to talk pills with, bud. How about that? Thank you, sir. <laughs> Enjoy your week, brother. We'll talk to you next Tuesday, bud. Absolutely, buddy. Let's let's see if they can stay in first, right? Three-game road trip. 
out west, two at Utah, one in Phoenix. That'll be fun, too. That's Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights, joining us here on RP3 and Company. we got to take a time out, our final one of today's show. When we come back, we'll finalize the poll question and get you set up for Kevin Foot and Footnotes. It's all coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. I want to take a moment to thank our guests, Coach Dez with the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, Jim Gazzolo of the Lake Charles American Press, Bob Nightingale, Major League Baseball reporter, columnist for USA Today, and Ali Cassell from the Bird Rights. Final results of the poll question of the day. We asked you, Cam Jordan, was Cam faking his injury? Yes or no? 70% say no, 30% say yes. Thanks for all who voted on the poll question of the day. Sad news to report on. Mike Leach, Mississippi State head football coach, has passed away at the age of 61. That was confirmed a little bit more than an hour ago. The Bulldogs coach, who was in his third season, obviously known as being an innovator, part of the air raid offense that he and Hal Mummy created back in the day at Kentucky. And then, of course, he took it and made himself a great offensive-minded head football coach with stops at Texas Tech, Washington State, and now Mississippi State, also known as one of the great characters in college football. Passed away at age 61 after complications resulting related to a heart condition that he suffered over the weekend. Our condolences to he and his family and the Mississippi State family as well. That's going to do it for this edition of RP3 and Company. We'll be better tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.